Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. We're recording on the evening of June the 10th, 2012. The Orioles, of course, have just taken two out of three games from the Philadelphia Phillies. I was at two of those games this weekend and maybe yelling a little bit, a little bit hoarse. Sorry about that. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eatmore SK on Camden Chat. And along for the ride with me, as always, is my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, do you have any exciting stories for us from the world of minor league baseball games lately? You know, I am one in one at Oriole Games, and I am four in one at the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs games. So clearly I should stay in the minors and get some more seasoning. So I heard you saw Felix PA uh, in a game there recently. Did he do any you know, exciting <laughs> PA like escapades? You know, it's it's amazing how many of the 2011 Orioles are just scattered around the International League. Uh, apparently, that team wasn't built on Major League talent. Who knew? PA, he looked okay at the plate. He had a couple hard hits. He got on base twice. He got hit by a pitch in his hand. He did not take any weird routes to balls in left field. Didn't fall down while trying to make a catch or anything? I was specifically looking for him, and it didn't happen. Um, His counterpart, uh, top prospect in the Phillies organization, left fielder Dominic Brown, actually made his own boneheaded play, and PA looked like a seasoned veteran compared to brown well so i guess you never know what you're gonna get with uh baseball on a given night so hey what are you gonna do so andrew and i are looking forward uh to the next series a little bit this week and we are pleased to be joined by a blogger from bucksdugout.com our sb nation pirates blog compatriots and he is charlie wilmoth and he's here on camden cast now charlie welcome to our humble little show hey thanks for having me it is it is always great to talk other baseball teams. We actually hope to get to do it more often. So, Charlie, for those Orioles fans who probably haven't thought about the Pirates in many years, how about you give us a little warm-up with what life is like as a Pirates fan in the year 2012? Well, they're, you know, they've had 19 straight losing seasons. Last year, they played fairly well with mostly a sort of smoke-and-mirrors routine until about late July when they had a 19-inning game against the Braves that ended when uh, the umpire blew a call at home plate, and they just completely fell apart after that uh, and and ended up with a fairly typical Pirates season in which they, they won 72 games. So this year, again, they're, they're playing pretty well. I mean, actually better than they were playing last season when, when they were mostly doing it through luck. Uh, they're 32 and 27. I think the fan base understandably has this this idea that you know you got to prove this to me over the long haul that that you're actually this good before I'll really believe in it. But I think we're starting to see the fans come around and and uh, begin to get really excited about this team. Um, I'm not sure how much of a believer I am in this team, but any kind of excitement around Pirates baseball is certainly good to see. Yeah, all of that uh, definitely sounds really familiar to the Baltimore listener, I'm sure, because it's basically the same story here. It's like maybe the park is filling up a little bit more, but people just aren't really sure how to handle it, because we've had basically one season out of the last 14 where they actually opened up playing well, and that was 2005, which totally fell apart. So we've heard all about that, because like every, every statistic 
that you know the media types quote is well this is the first time the Orioles have done such and such since 2005 you know the first time they've been x games over 500 since 2005 and I just like man I don't want to think about that anymore because that was really a bad bad ending to that season so it was funny you brought up that 19 inning game I think I actually remember that because that was the game where the guy was running with the huge stack of cups back and forth for uh, <laughs> forever if I remember right I don't know why that's my main memory of that game, but I remember seeing that image, and I'm, I think that was that game. That, that was part of the, the gif-off that uh, John Boyce did for SB Nation. Yeah. We, it was in, like, the final four, I think, or something like that. Really, it was a weird, weird one. So what did that, like, blow up the bullpen, and then they just uh, were a disaster after that or something? I don't think it was so much that they that blew up the bullpen. If I remember correctly, there's a, a sort of fringy minor league reliever named Dan McCutcheon who... Uh, pitched six innings in that game um, and just generally gutted it out. So it, it wasn't that it destroyed the bullpen or anything like that. It might have just been a coincidence, and I think that the whole team was just kind of a house of cards. But to me, I had the feeling, I mean, I stayed up till, um, till you know, I forget when that game ended. It ended, uh, you know, after 2.30. I had to write it up for three different sites because I was working for SBNation.com at the, at the time as well. So I was up at, at, until 3.30 writing about that game, and and I just remember thinking, you know, you can, as a Pirates fan, this is how you think, that, that you know, this could be the end, because, you know, there, this was going to come apart eventually, and why shouldn't this be the impetus for the, this whole thing to come apart? Um, so I don't know the reasons for it, if there's psychological reasons, or it's just, you know, random chance, or, or what, but... But I could feel it at the time. I could feel like this is not going to go well after this, and it didn't. Andrew and I were talking a couple of podcasts ago about my my feeling for the Orioles that it's like a seven-game or eight-game losing streak is just lurking around every corner. So looking at that baseball reference page for the last Pirates season, it's, so they won, or they lost the next night after that 19-inning game, won one game, and then it looks like they lost 10 in a row. So yeah, I guess that's, uh, why not have that be the reason why it fell off there? That's right. That's quite a bummer. So it's hard to believe in the Pirates, apparently, but they've got a decent start so far, and hey, maybe they'll keep it going. We were talking a little bit before we started recording. I, I feel like I couldn't handle the Pirates being good and not the Orioles just because they're one and two on the consecutive losing season streak. So if they were going to both break that in the same year, that would be okay. But I would be a little upset if the Pirates broke that streak and then the Orioles had the worst one. But I don't know. I I really I still can't decide what I think about the Orioles either. So I can understand that. I can understand your your uh, apprehension about that. But I, I I can I can tell you that that if if the Pirates do break that streak this year, I w- I will be rooting for you guys for sure. Well, we certainly appreciate that. <laughs> so one of our old friends from from Birdland, uh, Eric Bedard, a personal favorite of Andrews, as uh, Bedard. As he always likes to say, our our favorite surly Canadian is uh, is hanging out up in Pittsburgh this year. So, do you have any particular impressions on him as a guy you've just seen since this year started? Well, as a Pirates fan, I'm not really used to confidence, and he is he's competent, and we saw that from the very beginning. You know, he doesn't have blistering stuff as, and he probably has less blistering stuff than he did when he was with the Orioles. Uh, but he doesn't—he doesn't get his fastball much above 90 uh, these days. But he's—he's he's very deft at using his breaking pitch to set up his fastball. 
um, and setting hitters up, which we just we just don't see pitchers do a lot on the Pirates very much because they're just not good enough. I mean, we we see guys you know who have sort of subpar stuff try to to set hitters up and have maybe success a couple times through the league, but ultimately they always get brought down. But I mean, Bedard's had a long career and he's you know always pitched well. And so, you know, it's good to have that confidence that as long as he stays healthy, which, of course, is always the question with him, he's probably going to pitch pretty well. Um, So he's been a great acquisition from the from the Pirates so far. I know you mentioned that that, you know, when he was with the Orioles, there were some run ins with the media. I don't know whether to attribute it to growing up or or what. I mean, he's an older guy now. And we've we've seen none of that, um, you know, nothing that that would make you think he's anything but a, a good clubhouse presence and, you know, a good, competent starting pitcher. And, and that's a nice thing. It's kind of hard to believe it's been five years since we uh, well, the end of the 2007 wow. season was the last time we had Bedard as an Oriole. So almost uh, almost five years now. I guess maybe maybe he has grown up in that time. It's kind of hard to imagine, but the well, the, the surliness we kind of enjoyed. It wasn't like I don't know if you'd call it run-ins because he didn't like, you know, punch a cameraman or anything. He would just be. <laughs> I would say he he felt like he was being asked uh, the same dumb, dumb questions. questions over and over again, which you know probably he was, and uh, that was his way of responding to that. So I don't know, maybe the. Uh, Maybe the Pittsburgh people are more varied in their inquiries of of him, or it's you know it's not the same guys he's known for four years, so he's not uh, not sick of that either. So you said a little bit before we start recording, you feel like they're probably going to fall back and end up at 75 wins. Is that uh, is that am I remembering right there? Yeah, I, I think they're I think they're a better team than they were last year. I think some of the um, they made some. It looked at the beginning of the off season like it was going to be a very, very bad off season because they were taking a 72 win team, and basically just letting go of several, not great players, but competent players from that team. And it, it looked like things were really going to go, you know, downhill because there wasn't a lot of immediate help from the minor league system either. But um, the additions of Bedard and AJ Burnett have been really big, and uh, Rod Barajas, they acquired him to be their catcher. He got off to a slow start, but he's really come on strong in the last few weeks um, and has been uh, an important part of, of the way they've played in, in these last few weeks to get to where they've been. So, um, you know, they I think ultimately they're a better team than they were last year. Um, you know, how much better is, is up for debate, and the fact that they are still scoring a lot fewer runs than they're allowing um, and a lot of other statistical indicators just just show me that this is not actually a very good team. It's a marginally better team than they had last year, and ultimately, I think the, the one loss record will reflect that. So, did you go did you go out on a limb in public and predict a win total before the season started, or did you uh, did you not get the chance to do that? Because we put ourselves on the record on our show, so we could be sure to be embarrassed by uh, by the outcome and nobody nobody of the three of us we had on that show would pick more than 72 wins for the Orioles so we're all very uh we're all going to be very wrong if they keep up the current pace which of course we'd be happy to be wrong but if you look at the 2011 Pirates you might not be wrong at all eh. I mean that might it might just come all crash crashing down and, and it'll feel bad in that way but at least you'll feel good in the sense of <laughs> having been right I think I said I said before the season it would be 73 to 75 wins and I guess at this point They've basically played like that's their talent level. Uh, I know their record is 32 and 27, and at some point you have to adjust that total upwards to reflect that 
you know they've already banked so many wins, but I I, I think they're at a I think they're about a 75 win team basically. So you mentioned AJ Burnett. I honestly forgot he had gotten traded to the Pirates. We're not going to get him in this season, but what's he uh how what's he been doing for you guys so far? Uh, he's pitched very very well. Um, which is not that huge a surprise, honestly. I mean, you, you're leaving the AL East, which is such a difficult environment in which to hit, going to the NL Central. You're also going from Yankee Stadium to uh, PNC Park, which is, you know, a fairly good pitcher's park. And you can project that, you know, things are, are going to go better. I mean, he's going to get tons of starts down the stretch against the Cubs and Astros, too. So, you know, there's no reason not to expect that it's not going to continue. Um, he had he had one start earlier in the year against the Cardinals in which, um, if I remember correctly, Clinton Hurdle got ejected and, and um, you know, whoever was making the decisions after that point basically uh, just hung him out to dry and, and was hoping to get more out of him after he allowed eight runs and I think the first two innings. And the, he ended up allowing 12 runs in that start. So at, at this point in the season, if he's started 10 games, you know, a one 12-run start, skews your stats a whole lot um so you know if you adjust that down and make that an eight run start um his numbers look really good and and even you know just not adjusting at all they look very good to this point i mean he's he's a he's he's been big for the pirates i just looked that one up on fangraphs and it blew my mind a little bit yeah he had a 40.5 era just for that one game because he gave up the 12 earned runs in two and two-thirds innings that's that's kind of astounding that's uh that's last year. That's even worse than Brian Mattis last year. I don't even know if he had one single game that had that higher an ER number. Actually, I don't want to look because it would probably depress me if there was one <laughs> higher. So we'll leave that. We'll leave that one hanging. If any of our listeners want to find out for themselves, uh, do so at your own risk. Uh, that is what I would say there. So does he still hit a lot of guys? Uh, hit batsmen because that was the one. When he was in New York, it seemed like he was always hitting Orioles, and then like. Well, his stuff is just too electric. And yeah, it is too electric. He doesn't know where it's going. It's what, uh, <laughs> it's what one of the Yankee broadcasters would say about him. So we like to make fun of that. And of course, the Orioles had Jeremy Guthrie, who tended to pitch inside and hit Yankees, and uh, Joe Girardi would get upset about that. And Jeremy Guthrie would say things like, "Well, Joe knows he has a pitcher like AJ Burnett, who's also hitting a lot of batters. So I know he's not going to be too critical." We liked Jeremy Guthrie, although with his replacement, Jason Hamill, it's easier to forget about him. He was a nice guy and a great quote, though. Mm. So let's see. What else do you have on the Pirates? Great great player in Andrew McCutcheon, right? That's like the one guy I kind of hear about the most. Superstar. Superstar player. You, you always talk about how you need to win with superstars. And Andrew McCutcheon, that's a superstar in a way that I'm not even sure the Orioles have anybody who's a superstar like that. So what is it like getting to watch him? Is there anything you get kind of like him, kind of an inside view on a player like McCutcheon? It's nice to watch somebody who, I mean, there's really not any aspect of the game that he's bad at, I don't think. Um, he's he's a great hitter. Uh, I mean, he, he hits for power. He can hit for average. He draws walks. Um, you know, he's a great base runner. Uh, he's very athletic and fluid. He never looks like he's trying too hard, if that makes any sense. I mean, I'm, I'm using that as praise. Um, he it just looks very effortless. Um, and, you know, it's funny. It, in a lot of these, these this 19-year losing streak the Pirates have had, they've always had one good player, it seems like, most of the time. So they had Brian Giles, who was uh, a great player for several years, 
and then Jason Bay, um, and then Andrew McCutcheon. So they've always had, you know, one player in, in their lineup who, you know, where whatever else might be going on uh, in the rest of the lineup, whatever terrible things, whatever, uh, you know, you're having, having to watch these guys through through your, you know, your, through your fingers, you're covering your fingers with your eyes. Um, at, at least there's always this one guy who who made it all seem worth it, and it's it's definitely great to have him around. Andrew, I'm trying to think. Have the Orioles even had that one guy every year for like the last decade? I feel like some every years. Year? I feel like some years maybe there wasn't even a guy. Um, I think at least since like 2004, because there was like Tejada. And Brian Roberts had great years. And then Marquecas came along and had a couple really great years. And Bedard had a great year. Yeah, and before Melvin Mora had, well, I don't want to say broke out, but he had a couple good to, de- you know, decent to good years. But, yeah, probably probably after Cal re- retired, 2002, 2003 were ugly. But I guess we've had at least one decent player every year. But, if, I mean, if you're talking about, like, like, a superstar, like Andrew McCutcheon's one of the best players in the league every year. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah. I mean, maybe the closest for a few of those years was Brian Roberts, who, as you're listening to this, there is a very real possibility that the next Oriole to bat in a game could be Brian Roberts if he's uh, if he's, if he's he's leading off on Tuesday, because the reports were today he'll be coming back. Weird times. Yeah. So we, Happy times. We, were, we really didn't even know that would ever happen. It's exciting that it'll, uh, it'll be happening. So hopefully um, he's some semblance of a professional baseball player quality still you were talking about jason bay being the pirates big star uh when he was traded away um i remember reading a lot of negative articles about how the pirates aren't even trying they're taking their good players and getting rid of them what was your general reaction to to that round of i guess rebuilding i think a lot of the criticism of them at the time completely missed the point you you had uh, you know, you you had a what what was you know perennially about a 67 or 68 win team. That's how many wins they were they were having each year, and they had a bunch of players on that team. Pretty, pretty much the entire core of that team. This is around 2007, 2008, was set to become free agents um, by the end of 2009. And these are all players who are around 30. I mean, what are you going to do with those players? I mean, you have to trade them. You know, you, you can't just sit there and, and, and offer, you know, Jason Bay a $60 million contract if you're a team in the Pirates' position. It's ridiculous. You know, the, the problem is not that they were trading those players. The problem is that they got themselves into that position by not developing and, and drafting enough of their own talent to begin with. If if that team had been a good team, then, you know, this is not, not something anybody would ever complain about but the fact is that they didn't have a good team they had a 67 win team so they did the sensible thing and they traded them and if you look at at what most of those guys did um you know since they they got traded you're you're jason bay xavier nady jack wilson um i mean they haven't done a whole lot and you know it just it just shows i mean they shouldn't have held on to those players they needed to get rid of them and they did what was the trade with Nady? They traded to the Yankees with somebody, Damaso Marte, it looks like. I'm looking on baseball reference. I don't know this off the top of my head. And then that was like the trade where people freaked out because it was like, oh, man, how are the uh, how are the Pirates giving giving these guys up? And then suddenly they got, you know, McCutcheon, Daniel McCutcheon for them or 
Let's see, Jose Tabata, I think, is still on there also. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, Tabata is still with them. Um, Jeff Karstens has, has been a member of the rotation for several years. He's injured right now, but he's still there. Uh, Ross Ollendorf put in a couple of years for those for, in their rotation in which he was decent. So, I mean, you've got several players in that trade who ended up contributing, at least for a while. I mean, that was actually a really good trade for the Pirates. The 2007, yeah, yeah, the 2007 Pirates, I just went and looked, had some future Orioles on there, including current backup catcher Ronnie Paulino. And Steve Pierce was also played 23 <laughs> games on the 2007 Pirates. So how about that? Oh, we got Cesaris Turris on this list too. Goodness. That was, uh, that was loaded with future Orioles right there. So yeah, I think our, our teams are probably bound to, to exchange players going back and forth. Yeah. I think, uh, the last stop on the Daniel Cabrera tour might've been the Pirates organization. He is, he's, he's still there. Oh, is he still in like AAA or something? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. goodness gracious. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> did, There's a lot of back and forth there. I did not get to see Daniel Cabrera when uh, the Indianapolis Indians were in the Lehigh Valley, but I wanted to very badly. <laughs> that sounds like a tragedy for you. Uh, it was. You have no <laughs> idea. I had, to, I had to put up with Jeff Locke, whoever that is. Well, he wasn't Daniel Cabrera. I guess that's all we know. Exactly. So we wanted to look a little bit ahead to the starting pitching matchups in this weekend series. So maybe Charlie can tell us a little bit about the uh, the pitchers we're currently expected to see from Pittsburgh. And Tuesday's game is currently listed as, for the Orioles starting, is Wei-Yin Chen, the hero of Taiwan, versus the Pirates' Brad Lincoln. So what is the skinny on Brad Lincoln, if he is in fact skinny? Maybe. Uh, neither neither skinny nor nor corpulent. Um, he's a former top top prospect who has had some injuries and basically come through the minors and been kind of a mediocre starting pitching prospect. Basically looked like a back back of the rotation starter. And then the Pirates moved into the bullpen this year and he started all of a sudden throwing 96 mile an hour darts. So um, all of a sudden it looks like Brad Lincoln might have a career as something more than a spot starter. Um, so the Bucks have, have put him in the rotation uh, for now, now that Charlie Morton is injured. Um, we'll see how that works out for them. Um, there's questions about uh, his changeup, um, how often he's going to use it, how good a pitch it is, and, and, and hinging on that will be how good can he be in the rotation over the long term. But all of a sudden, you know, Brad Lincoln is a fairly interesting pitcher, and I, I wouldn't have predicted that a year ago. That's funny when you get that bullpen transformation and suddenly they just rediscover something so i it's kind of like what we're hoping for out of jake arietta yeah yeah he just got stuck in the bullpen and i'm very sad about that because i was his number one fan going into this year and uh it's 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 pierced my heart a little bit but i'll i'll get over it brad lincoln has a pretty absurd era as a reliever i looked at it a minute ago he had a 0.45 era just in his relief appearances so Considering he now has a 2.40 ERA after starting two games, I guess uh, guess he gave up a few runs finally when he started. Right, but the overall numbers are very good. Um, you know, still 31 strikeouts in, in 30 innings, um, and his starts have been uh, decent at least. So, um, so I, I still have hope that that he can contribute in the rotation. But it's more likely that at this point he's going to be a more of a seventh inning guy or an eighth inning guy in the long term. Well, teams certainly need players like that, too, as long as they're cheap and not, you know, getting signed to two-year $10 million contracts like the reliever who 
Well, he's worth naming now, don't you think, Andrew? He's, Are you talking about Kevin Gregg? Himself a little bit. Yes, uh, Kevin Gregg. Yeah. He's he's uh he was he was persona non grata around here for a little while, but I've I guess I've gotten over it a little bit. He's uh he's had a very good stretch of appearances. In fact, I think he's only given up like one run in his last twelve appearances or something. And he's had a really good stretch of not getting a stupid quote in the paper. Right. So right. there's that too. Right. That was the other reason we didn't like Kevin Gray because he was very, um, I don't know, what do we want to say, belligerent about his, uh, well, he would say his, his own like, abilities. Like you haven't acquired a taste for my style of pitching yet when he's like blowing three <laughs> saves in a row, giving up walk-off home runs to like Jorge Posada who at that point was yeah he just had to put a perfect swing on that pitch yeah that was right down the middle so we uh we didn't like him for a little while but I guess we've gotten over it a little bit but yes yeah we don't want any more Kevin Gregg contracts around here and the Orioles bullpen this year in fact it's proof of why really you shouldn't be giving out Kevin Gregg contracts when you can just get guys like a Pedro Strope off the strap heap uh, scrap heap or or a Brad Lincoln or Brad Lincoln or you know any any of those guys of that ilk so the Wednesday matchup, we're going to see Brian Mattis for the Orioles, and hopefully he will uh, continue to resemble a major league pitcher more often than not. And starter for the Pirates is Kevin Correa. Right. Um, he's he's bad. He's just a bad pitcher. <laughs> I mean, you know, not a bad pitcher in, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the cosmic scope of, of humankind. Um, he's a better pitcher than I am. For okay, yeah, that he throws harder than I do. That's fair. Um, is he better than Daniel Cabrera? Uh, possibly, yes. <laughs> no, he's better than Daniel Cabrera. I'll give him that. Um, but you know, 63 innings pitched, 24 strikeouts, which kind of tells you most of what you need to know. Um, 11 home runs allowed in that time. I mean, basically, he's a guy who's throwing 89 to 91 miles an hour most of the time, just kind of chucking the ball at the plate and hoping hoping things work out Boy, for, him, for him. This sounds really familiar, too. It's like every single thing you say has an analog on the Orioles. Yeah, are we sure that's not Tommy Hunter in a Pirates jersey and calling himself <laughs> Kevin Correa? Maybe when he got demoted he to Norfolk, he really paychecks. went and pitched to the Pirates and pitched for the Pirates instead and... Uh, he just didn't tell anybody. Yeah, that'll uh, that would get exposed in a hurry, I guess, if the Orioles are playing the Pirates. That does sound really familiar. So I'm looking at his Fangraphs page: 3.43 K to nine rate. Uh, yeah, that's a contact pitcher right there. Yep. <laughs> Eleven home runs in 63 innings. Ouch. So, well, I guess. I, I mean, I the, the Pirates fans in, invent these these contorted explanations for why Kevin Correa is actually decent or why we should stop criticizing him but they just don't work i mean the numbers kind of speak for themselves and and he doesn't pass the eye test either i mean he's he's not a good pitcher with a batting average on his balls in play of 234 he still has oh jeez like that's low that's a low number anyway and he's still got that that's that's kind of unbelievable actually yeah. So, well, I guess Orioles fans will be hoping that luck turns around for him in addition to hitting a lot of home runs against him. So he's a righty, so maybe that'll be a Chris Davis uh, park a couple on the flag court kind of game. Or maybe Chris Davis will be the one guy who strikes out three times against Kevin Correa. You really never know what you're going to get. It'll probably be that, the latter, just to spite all of us, you know? It will be a nice rock meets hard place, so pitcher who can't strike anybody out. Lineup that strikes out a lot. Yeah, the Orioles still Who lead wins? the major leagues in strikeouts. I think they had another dozen today, and they had the lead going into today. Yeah, they had 12 strikeouts today, Sunday, 
and they're going to go into the next series with the major league lead in strikeouts. So uh, that will be a kind of a stoppable force meets the movable object kind of mm. kind of encounter there. Who will own it? Yeah, who will own it? As I the mass and commercials like yeah. to say, yeah. And the Thursday game currently has a mystery pitcher for the Orioles. I am personally guessing it's going to be Dana Eveland unless he's needed in uh, desperate long relief duty on Tuesday or Wednesday just because he's already on the major league roster and already on the 40-man roster, and he has started in his lifetime. Uh, And the pitcher for the Pirates is our old friend, Bedard, who we talked about a little bit. Bedard. So speaking of guys who strike out, he'll probably get a lot of strikeouts against the Orioles in that particular game. And, uh, well, who really knows? Orioles aren't good against lefties either, or historically haven't been. That actually might be better this year, but I don't know. They, they're they not very good against former Orioles pitchers either, it seems like. Just the guys that uh, got released or traded because they weren't good enough. Well, not Bedard was. Oh, well, yeah, Bedard. He, he got traded because he was too good, I guess. But... Uh, it's, you know, I seem like to remember us. maybe like the first time the Orioles faced Bedard when he was with Seattle and like Aubrey Huff came up and maybe he struck out or something and it cut to Bedard and he was just like giggling on the mound or something like that. That was fun. Because Eric Bedard knew exactly how to strike out Aubrey Huff, I'm sure, having watched Aubrey in their time together on the Orioles. So I, I don't know. Nick Markakis was like the only guy on the hitter roster yeah. then and now. He he probably does not have a lot of friends left over, unfortunately. Maybe Brian Roberts. He'll be back. That's true. Brian Roberts will be back, and maybe he'll even play in three straight games. That maybe Miguel Tejada will be back oh, too. God. Why did you have to remind me? Although and maybe Nate Nate McLeod will be back. They played together. Uh, this year, even, right? Yeah, Nate McLeod, after he was designated for assignment, has also ended up in the uh, Norfolk Tides Reject Society, along with That's right. Lou Ford and all those other guys who are down there. Moyer's down there, Dontrell Willis. Bill Hall. Bill Hall for the, you know, the second is <laughs> down there. Uh, J.C. Romero is down there. It's a, it's a real uh, team that could have won the 2003 World Series down there. It's it's really astounding some of the guys that they've just had through there. But I guess that's what the AAA uh, is for to just stash those in case there's five injuries on the major league roster guys, which hopefully we don't get five injuries on the major league roster. So I don't know. I guess maybe that's two out of three favorable starting pitcher matchups uh, for the Orioles coming into this series, depending on how Lincoln does in his uh, his starting. Maybe that one. Well, push. the the thing is. The Pirates' offense is really not remotely good. Outside of McCutcheon, they're terrible. Uh, no offense, of course. And uh, so, automatically, the Orioles' pitchers who have not been pitching really well, their starters, they're going to get a leg up because they're facing a really, really weak offense. So, I got the impression from Maybe. talking to Charlie before we were recording, he's fully aware of the Pirates' uh, <laughs> failings, so I feel like probably not any offense there. No, none taken. But yeah, it looks like 191 runs scored for the Pirates after today's game, and that's they've played 59 games. Wow, that's uh, that's a little bit of futility there. What does that average out to? Let's see, 3.2 runs a game. Wow, if I did my math right, yeah, 3.23 runs a game average. Oof. Oh. I mean, I'm I'm looking at their player page. They have three 
batters who are considered regular on baseball reference with an on-base percentage over 300. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not good. There's a lot of work to do on, on that side of the, the field. The Pirates as a team, it looks like, have a 278 on-base percentage, which is astoundingly bad. I didn't look at that until right now, and I'm, I'm amazed. Charlie, I don't know how you, how, you, how you put up with this. I guess you're numb to, uh, numb to underperforming teams after all those years, just like we are. Right. I mean, the fact that it's actually, if we had had this this interview, you know, three or four weeks ago, you would have been even more astounded at what you're looking at because <laughs> it was just a disaster at that point. I mean, they've actually played, they've actually hit reasonably well over the last few weeks to bring their numbers up to where they are. Wow. So, I mean, it's it's kind of incredible. I mean, they, they had um, Barajas, um, who now has an OPS plus of 99. I mean, he was way down in the dumps with all those other guys. Neil Walker basically was too. Andrew McCutcheon hadn't really hit a whole lot in the first few weeks of the season. I mean, so so where they are now, I mean, it, it feels to it, I mean, speaking purely as a fan, it feels to me now like they're going to hit. A few weeks ago, it didn't feel like there was going to be hitting hitting at all, and they were you know they were playing a lot of two one games, I and mean, their starters were doing an incredible job and in still keeping them in games, but the the offense was just spectacularly bad every single night almost. Yeah, I really, I can't even fathom. I mean, the Orioles have flirted with having some teams with like sub 300 on base percentage, but they usually kick out to it. Like right now, they have a 309 on base team as a team, which isn't great, but that that low is just. Uh, I mean, obviously, I guess in the National League, you got the pitcher spot sucking up, you know, three appearances a game, but still. I, it would be it would be like the entire lineup is like Tony Batista, but with no power. Well. We might have to put a Surgeon Why, General's is, warning on this podcast right, right there. there. <laughs> uh, put, the, put the MPAA uh, motion picture warning there. This is no longer safe for work. <laughs> not, not safe for work anymore. Not suitable for young children. <laughs> not suitable for those with heart conditions. Oh, boy. So speaking of some of the parallels that we've we've seen before uh, between the Pirates and the Orioles, one of the things we were talking about is down here is how the Orioles a couple years ago, well, I guess it was more than a couple now. Well, had even the, now, I mean, you know, they're sort of refreshing it. Had the famous quote by former manager Dave Tremblay about how with the pitching prospects, which at that time was what uh, Brian Mattis, Chris Tillman, and Jake Arrieta was who he was referring to when he said the cavalry is on the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, well, we've seen since of those guys not exactly great major league results. So it goes to show you... Kind of the the uh, adage from the baseball don't. community. Don't say it. Okay, I won't say it. I'm not right. going to say it, Andrew. I'm sorry. Um, well, but sometimes pitching prospects. Except for Dylan Bundy, right? Turnout is is the gist of it. And uh, so the, the Pirates have their own collection of exciting young pitchers who will maybe blossom into something a bit better than the Orioles have. You got uh, Jamison Tyon from two years ago. Uh, Garrett Cole from last year, and then this year, assuming he signs Mark Appel, which we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. So, uh, Charlie, do you have any impressions about Tyone or Cole from what you've read about or if you've ever seen them or video of them or anything like that? I think they're, they're both extremely good pitching prospects, which is what you'd expect when you're spending you know, the first overall pick of the draft on Cole and the second overall pick the previous year on, on Tyone. Um I think that there's, you know, 
Cole, when he was drafted, was supposed to have some some mechanical issues to work through. And it's a little bit strange to me that they haven't already promoted him to double A, given that he was, again, the first overall pick at the draft last year. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, there's there's nothing not to like about these guys. They're both power arms um, with good control uh, who, who each have a chance to be a number one starter in the majors. Um, and, you know, you can add a, add a Pell to that list, too, if they're able to sign him. The, the problem that I have with a lot of um, what's going on in the Pirates minor league system is that uh, there's been an organizational focus on pitching for the last few years since since Neil Huntington took over the team. And aside from the guys that they're getting in the first round of the draft, who you expect to do well, especially since they're only at, at uh, Class A plus right now, um, the, most of their pitching prospects, guys that they've spent a lot of money on, have not really turned out. Um, in the 2009 draft, they drafted all kinds of pitching talent after um, getting Tony Sanchez with the fourth overall pick and basically paying him, you know, a fairly minimal amount so that they could go over slot on a bunch of guys in later rounds. None of those guys have really turned out to be uh, great prospects. And, and um, you know, after Cole and Tyone, there's a really steep drop off in terms of the prospect quality uh, of the pitchers throughout the organization. There's one more guy, Luis Heredia. Um, in the lower levels, he's extremely young Mexican pitcher. He's 17. Um, who might one day be great uh, or might, you know, who knows? He's 17. Um, and, you know, after that, things get really dicey. Um, and, and just looking at it broadly, you know, having two two pitching prospects, the quality of Cole, Cole and Tyone, that sounds fine. But, you know, you look at it in terms of, you know, the Pirates spent more in the draft in the last four years than any other team. You would really expect things to be better than they've they've turned out so far so the old system although they were spending a lot you don't feel like it uh was working out in terms of the way it was uh was results it sounds like so do you think that's uh that was more they didn't scout these guys well enough or the development is not where it should be or do you i mean not sure okay i I don't know it's something i've thought about um i'm I'm not sure i mean i've i've talked to kyle stark who is the guy who's been in charge of the, the pirates development program he seems like a really impressive guy, but I, I don't know. It, it's it's really hard to separate at this point because when you're talking about these guys when they're drafted, you know they're they're 18 years old. They're mostly guys who were signed away from from college commitments, uh, and the Pirates have had this strategy of basically looking for this type of pitcher who's six foot four, uh, has this lean frame that one day might fill out and add velocity. That hasn't happened. I don't know if that's that's. Uh, you know, if that's because, you know, that's generally not a good strategy or because they're not developing these guys right or because they've simply had some bad luck. It might be a combination of all three. That sounds kind of like the Orioles scouting director up until this year was uh, really in love with the kind of toolsy raw outfielders. And the minor league was just littered with Joe Jordan's uh, potential five-tool outfield guys who just never really blossomed with their five tools. And now they're they're kind of scattered to the winds across Major League Baseball, like names nobody cares about anymore, like Matt Angle and Kyle Hudson. All those... I just saw Kyle Hudson. Okay, so he's center field for, for Lehigh Valley. Andrew, he runs into everybody in his little minor league adventures, it seems like. Although That's Z- why I do it. Xavier Avery might be his one vaguely success story. But... So it's out... oh, the book is still open on that. So it sounds like the Pirates are similarly or have been similarly in love with uh, six foot four. What would they say? Projectable righties. Right. Exactly. 
hoping to fill out their frame. Well, you know, if all you got to do is hit on one of them and suddenly you feel like, wow, that's great, we got so-and-so. But Now, one of the things that has been a big talking point in the Orioles fandom and in the Orioles media is uh, Dylan Bundy is uh, our top prospect. And he's been put on, I think it's fair to call it a very conservative train of development where he came out of high school but was polished enough to be considered almost like a college pitcher. And he was sent to low A ball and given very, very light workloads and then eventually promoted to high A ball still not given heavy workloads. Yeah, they're uh, still not letting him go more than five innings uh, yet, I believe. Right. Uh, the Pirates, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, went on a similar sort of train with Tyone, mm-hmm. who came out of high school also. Um, was there any like large discussion point about that, or was it just sort of, well, they know what they're doing. This is a young kid. Let's just wait and see what happens nobody ever assumes the pirates know what they're doing and the pirates (laughs) the pirates got a lot of criticism for for that for being very conservative with tyone but from my perspective the criticism was not really warranted you know you're dealing with a very young and very important arm i i don't really see the the problem with with limiting his workload a little bit and if if there's one thing in the in the pirates um development process that you can point to as being a success i think it's keeping guys healthy so i had no problem with it at all now you mentioned that people assume the pirates don't know what they're doing do you feel like that has kind of um improved a little bit since neil huntington took over or is the part you know are the pirates as much of a joke as they were before that as far as you know what maybe the national press would say about the organization well i mean i can't i can't you know, I, I, I'm not sure there's any relationship between what the national press has to say about the Pirates and what's actually going on. That's, that's very true. I, uh, I guess that's, the that's reason true. I ask that question is because people, not necessarily Andrew or myself, but many Orioles fans will freak out about anything Keith Law says or doesn't say about the Orioles. And like he, he famously said uh, when the Orioles were going through their general manager search over the last offseason that nobody with any self-respect would take that position, which, I mean, maybe it's even true, but it's just, I don't know why he would rub that in the wounds of people who are suffering as Orioles fans. And uh, I think ever since he said that, everybody's just like, anything, any of the latest thing that he says, they're just waiting to be outraged about with, with yeah, regard well, to the okay, Orioles. Well, you know, Keith Law is actually one of the few guys with a national profile who I would care to defend. I mean... He, he, he does that. I mean, everybody thinks that he is against their team because he's he's critical about everybody and he's kind of surly, but he's right about an awful lot of things. Um, as for your original question, though, uh, I don't think there's, there's any doubt that the Pirates are run much better now than they were five years ago um, when they were run horribly, uh, almost as bad as they possibly could have been run. Um, still, it's it's you know, contending in Pittsburgh is really, really difficult for any number of reasons. Um, and, you know, the fact is that most GMs now are smart. And, you know, I think Neil Huntington is a really smart guy. Uh, and, you know, if you put him in charge of a team 10 years ago, when a lot of GMs were not smart, he would probably look to the national media or, you know, the baseball fans who are interested in such things 
to be a, a really bright guy and one of the better GMs in baseball. Now I think he's he's basically average. I think that there have been some weaknesses uh, in identifying talent that have been exposed. Um, and the question is whether the Pirates can succeed with with what is basically an average GM. I'm not sure they can. So you feel like Huntington has maybe helped right the ship a little bit and build a better foundation, but he's probably not going to be the guy to take you back up into the successful level? Maybe, yeah, maybe not. I mean, there, there's one guy who on my blog who I trust a lot who, who basically says pretty much exactly that, that the, the best case scenario he sees is that some other GM eventually comes in and builds a winning team starting with what Huntington uh, put in place here. I think he's I think he's a totally decent, competent GM. Um, but, you know, some a lot of the free agent signings he's made uh, give me pause. Um, and a lot of the results of, of these drafts where the Pirates have admirably spent all this money and they still have basically, you know, a slightly above average farm system as opposed to a great farm system. I mean, I think you could you could certainly say that he is he's not the guy at this point. I feel like probably that's how Orioles fans are going to end up looking at Andy McPhail, assuming they manage to, you know, be good at the end of the year at some point, because it seems like he was the guy who kind of shored up the cracks where there were many, many cracks in the foundation, but is not ultimately going to be around to get him to the next level, which whether he would have been able to if he stayed is kind of an open question. and. Andrew, I don't know that he probably would have, because if he if he had a whiff that the Orioles were going to be this good this year, can you imagine the free agent money he would have splashed around instead of having all these bargain basement guys? I just uh, well, it's easy to say stuff like that, but who the heck knows? Because yeah. so much of the front office is more than just the general manager, and a lot of the guys in Baltimore are still there from McPhail's tenure. So who the heck knows? I mean, there's more decision-making than just one guy saying, let's sign Mike Gonzalez and let's trade for Kevin Millwood. Yeah, Um, I guess that's true. Andrew, you're no fun sometimes. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. I'm here to be the irrational one, and Andrew's here to keep uh, keep me grounded slightly more in reality, I guess. So we're getting close to the end of our time here tonight. So, Charlie, is there a Twitter account you would like to plug if you run one for Bucks Dugout, if anybody wants to follow and get some uh, get some SB Nation Pirates info? It's it's Bucks Dugout. At Bucks Dugout. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. That is, Slow down. Let me spell that out. That's radical. And it is Bucks B-U-C-S with one C in case. You know, don't don't go in with a K in there because, of course, Buc- Not the basketball Buccaneers team only has, or doesn't have a C rather, yeah. Okay, so follow Bucks Dugout at Bucks Dugout on Twitter if you would like. And as always, you can find me at Eatmore, S-K-E-S-S-K-A-Y, like the hot dogs. And Andrew is at Gibson. Andrew? You can follow my minor league adventures. Yeah, his his following of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs and whoever else is, uh, is passing through town. I can't wait for the tides to come through town. I can tell you that much. Oh, I'm sure there will be all kinds of excellent shenanigans there. So, Charlie, with all you've told us tonight, is there one final thought you might have on your mind as you're looking ahead to this series, something you're kind of looking for or maybe dreading? Well, the Pirates are, are in the midst of a four-game winning streak. They've won, I think, 12 of their last 15, and they won their last five series. So, with all due respect to you guys, I'm looking forward to that continuing, hopefully. All right. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's the opposite of the Orioles, who've really... Yeah. Well, they, they until, look pretty good the past six nights. Yeah, so. until the last couple series, they were they were struggling a bit. So, Andrew, do you have any final notion on the Orioles or 
life or whatever tonight. I keep wanting to shoehorn in here somewhere. The best breakfast I ever had was in Pittsburgh, and I just I need to tell as many people as I can about that. It was in Squirrel Hill. It was at a place called Pamela's, and you knew it was good because there was a big line going out the door waiting to get in. It was wonderful. I had, like, hotcakes or something like that. Nice. Yeah. So go there if you're ever in Pittsburgh, which is a nice, nice town. Really, really good place. You should go there anyway. I have really never been to Pittsburgh. I've just kind of driven by it, and uh, I don't have any thoughts about Pittsburgh either, good or bad. So I'm sorry that I can't contribute there. So what is my final thought? I guess I should have thought one up before I started asking for final thoughts. I guess I would just like to say that I hope the Orioles' bullpen continues being excellent because I really, and it goes along with the same thing as feeling like there's an eight-game losing streak around every corner, I guess, is just feeling like the bullpen is just due to melt down. It's just, I feel like for like an entire week and just like blow seven games in a row or something terrible. And, and I just want that to not be true, but I keep fearing that it is. And uh, probably I should stop worrying, but really, I, I think I just don't know how to handle success uh, having a great bullpen just out of nowhere. Like all these guys with sub two ERAs, like Darren O'Day, Pedro Strope, Jim Johnson, all below two ERAs. Of course, Chris Davis with the perfect zero ERA. You can't, can't, can't forget him. It's just uh, pretty good K rate too. Yeah, it's yeah. Just seeing all these guys is amazing. And Luis Ayala is below a two ERA. Matt Lindstrom, if he comes back from his finger problem, had below a two ERA. Really, just kind of astounding. So I kind of forgot about Matt Lindstrom. I know he has kind of fallen off. And then then like the, the no name guys coming out of nowhere, like Stu Pomeranz and uh, Miguel Gonzalez came up, had some good times, yeah. then went. Away it's, right just, away. it's really strange with the bullpen like that this year. So I guess that's my final thought. Orioles bullpen, please keep being awesome. Not that they're listening to this podcast, but especially you, Kevin. It's, Gray. it's the thought that counts. Yeah, even even <laughs> Kevin Gregg, keep being keep being what you've been lately. That would be good. So I guess that's all we've got for tonight. We were once again pleased to be joined by Charlie Wilmoth from BucksDugout.com. Charlie, thank you very yeah, much. Thank you for joining us. We had a great time. Hopefully it was fun for you as well. I, I did have a good time. Thank you for having me. And I am Mark Brown. My Camden Cast partner is Andrew Gibson. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out. <laughs>